Today is Sunday, July 18th, 2021. Time for episode 151 of the Barnhart Podcast. It is the eighth Sunday after, well, and it used to be extraordinary time, eighth Sunday after Pentecost, but can we even say extraordinary time anymore? It's it's just it's just ordinary time. Uh, ordinarily extraordinary, unified. <laughs> there's a unified theory. I don't. I don't know. Um, You're right, though. It seems that the extraordinary form, uh, the term anyway, has been expunged. So, see, there's a silver lining right there. We can we can cease and desist with all of with all of that weirdness. Although he did it for a reason, as I explained, because. If he had, hadn't done it that way, then they would have done exactly what Bergoglio put into this, you know, this thing that they apparently dug out of his colon when he was in the hospital and he released it as a document. Um, he He's basically trying to gun exactly what Pope Benedict was trying to avoid by calling it ordinary, extraordinary, and that is to keep people from having to go through the bishop and get bi-ritual faculties and all this. And now what Bergoglio has done is just said, basically all diocesans have to go through the bishop and then even then sometimes they it has to go through rome etc 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 so yeah but yeah we can stop calling it that now we can just we call it the mass of the ages or the venerable pian rite or the venerable gregorian rite or whatever but uh wait i i hear strange strange voices on the line who, who else is here <laughs> i think it's me <laughs> It's Dr. Matza. How you doing, Dr. Matza? <laughs> I'm doing well. Strange voices are saying, what do they say? <laughs> Things I can't understand. <laughs> Everything's okay as long as Matza's still breaking into song spontaneously. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and doing and doing impressions. Boy, if you all aren't in the uh, <laughs> Indiana the Dr. Indiana Matza Jones classes, you I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna give it away. I'm not gonna give it away. But let me just let me just say, and and non Vinny Mark can back me up on this. That uh, wow, things things get things get special in those classes. <laughs> they are not to be missed. Too much ivermectin can lead to certain. <laughs> Is, is that what it is? Okay. It's not the Good ivermectin, it's the mixer. It's the mixer. That's right. <laughs> well, oh, matzah. He's, he's, blaming, he's blaming the ivy. He's <laughs> and who else? There's, there's another strange voice I hear. Who else is there? It's a voice in the desert crying out. Yeah. Yes, crying out. We have not only heat, we have not only heat, but humidity right now. And Ooh. yeah, it's... Uh, uh, but we also have uh, four diocesan TLMs, the SSPX and the FSSP. And um, your bishop has said the diocesans are safe, too? No, oh. that has not, not been said. That has uh, not been said. He okay. has told the FSSP, he has told the FSSP that they are safe, and he is uh, going to take some time to dissect the document before commenting any further. Hmm. And the, on, the only thing that I know, there are, I think, four diocesan TLMs, and we were told at Mass this morning that one of those pastors has written to the bishop asking for continued permission. Uh, that's out in Gilbert. There's one here in town, uh, St. Catherine of Siena, ironically, mm -hmm. that uh, I don't know what's going to happen there. I have been there for, for Mass. So it, it's all... Um, Kind of up in the air, but maybe not as bad as it could be. I don't know. 
Yeah, well, I mean, remember, guys, this, the, you know, uh, Bergoglio's colonic um, extraction was released on Friday. So tomorrow is basically the first time that people are actually going to be able to get together. People with authority are going to be able to get together and, and discuss it at all. So um, don't be surprised that there, if there hasn't been, you know, some huge um, announcement right away. I mean, there, um, who was the first one? San Francisco. Cordelione was the first one in San Francisco. He said it. He was out within minutes. He's like, not no changes. Everything's fine. Keep going. Um, but you know, be patient and give them the week to, they, they, these guys need to get together and figure out what they're going to do and, you know, get their, get their ducks in a row, consult with people, um, higher up with authority, pray God that, that at least somebody, um, higher up in Rome with authority is, is finally going to stand. I mean, if, 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 if no, if nobody in Rome is going to stand against this, if none of the Catholic prelates in, that are left, you know, all three of them or however many there are that are left in Rome, if none of them will stand against this, then that will actually give us a lot of information, a lot of guidance about what what the future is going to look like. And it, you can just you can basically say, OK, we can just forget about X, Y, Z, these these prelates. They're not going to do anything. But I, I'm not saying that that's happened yet. Give them give them the week to get their ducks in a row. Um, Dr. Matza, how about you? Is did you hear anything when you went to mass today? Uh, the priest said that uh, he understands our anxiety, but we should pray for the bishop now that everything is, the onus is on the bishops. Um, so he is waiting to hear from the bishop what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I echo your sentiments about how this is going to show us um, among the cardinals and bishops, you know, who's worthy to wear the red uh, right. or the purple here. Right. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila said that she would die for the least ceremony of the church wow yeah yep we'll see we'll, we'll see if they uh if they know why they're wearing red to begin with yeah super nerd how are things in your neck of the woods did you hear anything um only so much this morning it was it was that uh the the, the where i go to mass there we're not going to be affected that the uh, archbishop of the diocese uh, is happy with the ministrations of the fraternity of St. Peter, which is where I went to mass this morning. And so nothing's going to change there. Of course, what also isn't going to change is that the uh, archbishop owns the physical property and he could sell it tomorrow or turn it into a parking lot if it made him happy. So uh, it's all based on the whim of how he's feeling at the moment. I'd say that's true in the vast majority of uh, FSSP parishes, correct? The, the the diocese would own the property. If they don't, if they don't own it outright, they own the they own the the mortgage on or the loan on it. So yeah, I, I'd love to believe them and, and think nothing's gonna happen. But at the same time, I'm um, what's the what's the line from Ronald Reagan? Trust but verify. Trust but verify. Unfortunately, the the. Yeah, especially the, the fraternity of St. Peter, I believe, if not all locations, then at least the vast majority of them, they're owned by the diocese. So they are on the most shaky footing. And uh, they, they, they are in the most precarious state of, of being just at, at the whim of, of whether or not the bishop wants to keep them around. And of course, I don't know what this means for all of their seminarians, because going forward, any priest being ordained has to get permission from the bishop and from Rome to say the old mass. 
Um, including it's, it's the very, fraternity, including the institute, not just diocesan. I think a lot of people didn't catch that precision. Um, so these these guys who were just ordained, what was it, last week or week before last? Um, got in just under the wire. They, they got, got in, in just under the wire. They, they got in just under the wire. And then, of course, everybody, as always, were prefacing all of this by saying, Bergoglio isn't the Pope. He has no actual real authority. But, you know, in order to... In order to keep the conversation moving, we're we're going to drop back into these things like they need to get permission. Dot 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 dot. Believe me, we're going to get into the 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 meat of all of of all of this question. But just understand rhetorically, just so that we're not taking forty five minutes to say something very simple. We're going to say things like they need to get permission from so and so. They need to get permission from Rome. The fact is that I have more authority than Jorge Bergoglio does because I'm a Catholic by virtue of my baptism, by virtue of my confirmation, uh, and the fact that I am actually a Catholic. Now I don't have hardly any authority at all, but I have more than Bergoglio, who isn't even Catholic. That's what we've we're going to keep trying to point out to people and make them realize that this is all. This is all just a trick. Satan is trying to trick everyone into thinking that they can't say the mass, into thinking that they're in schism. And we'll get into that later in the discussion. It's all trickery. It's all Satan, you know, convincing people that a set of circumstances exist that does not exist and then getting us to be the workers of our own destruction. So, um, oh, and to finish out the roundtable, where I, where I went to Mass this morning, no change, nothing different, and during the homily, it wasn't even mentioned, and everybody seemed very chipper. So, um, yeah, a little bit of everything, but we'll have more information, um, you know, Certainly, I'm, I'm sure loads of meetings are going to happen tomorrow, and then there will be information trickling out as, you know, the week progresses, and we'll obviously all be on top of it and blogging it and letting everybody know what's going on. So so now that we're 10 minutes into the podcast, what we didn't directly address is the fact that a document was published on Friday from Rome, and that, what was it called again? Tradition in Custody? Or placed uh, under custody? Gar- gar- guardians of, guardians, guardians of tradition. Of tradition. <laughs> Gaslighting. I, I prefer to think of it as tradition putting in custody. <laughs> yeah, I'm putting tradition in custody, yeah. <laughs> and um, it but was... I, I just, I just it, want to point that out. Yeah. Go on, uh, sorry. Well, I mean, that's why we're here doing this podcast, this kind of emergency roundtable. And... Um, for those, maybe there are some secular people who are, you know, listening to this because of, you know, ivermectin or whatever. Um, Anti-Pope Bergoglio is trying to convince the church that he has abolished and banned the the Catholic Mass, the Catholic Mass that existed, that, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taught the apostles in the upper room after the Last Supper, but before they departed to the garden, he taught them how to say that he taught them how to offer the Mass. And then it's been basically that Mass, recognizable as that Mass, completely throughout history. Um, the, a big codification came with Pope St. Gregory the Great, um, the second huge big, big codification and, and putting it it completely in stone was by Pope St. Pius V in the middle of the 1500s. He wrote a document called Quo Primum, in which he explicitly says, this is it, nobody can change it, it can be said with at full liberty by any Catholic priest, this is the Roman rite, 
And anybody who dares say anything otherwise or attempts to do otherwise, let him be anathema and let him feel the wrath. And this is, this is so consoling and it's so macho and so awesome. Let him feel the wrath of Saints Peter and Paul. And like, yes. And that's something I wanted to mention you uh, for the roundtable and for the listenership as well. There is a, a Roman saint, and I want to say it's a female saint. And she had a vision of St. Peter and Paul in the sky with flaming swords over the Vatican, like smiting infiltrators of the Vatican. And, um, when I saw that that quote of Pius V from Quo Primum, in which he specifically calls down the wrath of St. Peter and Paul on anyone who dares try to abrogate or or limit in any way the the mass of the church, the venerable Latin mass, um, oh, my heart just soared because, man, we, we might actually see this. That, I mean, he's, Bergoglio has called the wrath of Peter and Paul down on himself. It's, it's so awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all happening, and, and that's why we're having this roundtable. Um, so where, where do we even want to start, guys? Mark, where do you want to start? So the comment I would make there would be, we were talking about that this is uh, an order from an antipope that holds no weight whatsoever. Uh, he has no authority. He holds no office. The, um, the, the bull that Anne just read from makes it clear that even a true pope has no authority yep. to do what was attempted on Friday. Yep. And this, I think this is all, again, it's so edifying because you look back at what Paul VI did and you look at it and everybody, JP2, Benedict, everybody confirmed ex post facto, Paul VI never, never abrogated the mass. It was heavily implied. It was, here's this, this new order of the mass. Um, everybody just do this now. But, but. The old mass was never abrogated, and this is historically legally set in stone. So even Paul VI didn't do it, which, again, as much as it, it's cringe and, and it is what it is, Paul VI was a valid pope. He was the vicar of Christ. It's just yet another proof set that the whole set of Acantus, the whole 1958 set of Acantus, um, thesis is wrong because you have these little confirmation sets cropping up. Paul VI didn't, never did anything he, that, that was explicitly um, impossible, that was impossible for a pope to do. Did he do shady, horrible stuff? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Was he a terrible, awful, horrible, horrible pope and horrible man? Yes. But he never, he never abrogated the old mass. It was just all implied, and everyone went along with it because of obedience. And can I say, for the, those that once the, who didn't live through that period of time, um, I was only an infant myself, but uh, I'm going to be going into a deep dive on this in my uh, new church history class for yes. the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you go to evanmaza.com, uh, you can sign up for that fall church history class, and we're going to go through everything, Bunini, the Vatican Council, Rahner, and everything that came afterwards. Um, the course I wanted is, to, is 20th century, right? I mean, that's the entire semester is just the 20th century, yes? Exactly. We're yeah. going from uh, 1917 to 1973. 
So, but for both the church uh, course and for the world uh, history course. Okay. And um, and here's something that's not in the course, but I wanted to bring up because it's apropos. Um, as you were just saying, it's never been abrogated. This is a direct quote from Sumorum Pontificorum from um, July 7th of 2007 by Papa Benedetto. He says, um, it is therefore permitted to celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass following the typical edition of the Roman Missal, which was promulgated by Blessed John the Twenty Third in 1962 and never abrogated. Yep, yep, it's right there. And then, as for the people who are trying to say that uh, Bergoglio is—he's not really trying to abrogate the uh, the mass. Uh, well, uh, hat tip to uh, v- uh, Louis Varecchio at uh, AKAcatholic.com in his uh, post on this uh, event. He quotes not from the motto, it's, uh, motto proprio itself, but from the letter to the bishops that accompanies it. Which is far worse. You think the motto <laughs> proprio is bad. The letter is just, oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. And it says, um, <clears throat> I take comfort in this decision from the fact that after the Council of Trent, St. Pius V also abrogated all the rights that could not claim a proven antiquity, establishing for the whole Latin Church a single Missale Romanum. Now, two things about that statement, and then I'll let you guys comment here. So, number one, it also abrogated, meaning that in Bergoglio's mind, he is abrogating the traditional Roman Latin mass of the the Church. Um, And secondly, he doesn't even follow his own logic. Yeah. Um, Pi- St. Pius V only abrogated those rights that could not claim a proven antiquity. In other words, that could not show that they existed more than 200 years in, into the past. The, the, the Latin Mass that we all know and love goes back to the time of, of Pope St. Gregory the Great and, and beyond that. So and we're before, talking yeah. about 1,500, 2,000 years. Yeah. Yep. Oh, End of soapbox. Uh, oh, you know, logic. That none of that is terribly important. Did you see Dr. Matza also the other thing where in in the motu proprio itself he references he calls the 1962 missile the the missile that immediately preceded the missile of Paul the sixth. And it's like, are you kidding me? There were two in between. Yep. There was exactly. 65 and 67. That is how. That is how uninformed, ignorant, and I I don't, none of us pretend that Bergoglio was actually drafting these documents. It was probably Roche or, or, um, I don't know who else. Good name. Yeah, right, right. Um, It was probably Roche or, or, um, I don't know who else it would be, probably not Perilyn, but um, I don't know what... One of those, one of those heretics. Um, they they don't even know what they're talking about. They don't even they don't even realize that there were two missiles promulgated between sixty two and and Paul the sixth in nineteen seventy. And um, this is just an interesting tidbit. Why did Archbishop Lefebvre attach onto the nineteen sixty two? At why didn't he do pre-55? When, why didn't he go back further? That's the question that people, well, why didn't he do that? And he set us all up and, you know, it would have been so much better if it had been pre-55 and before all the PN reforms and everything. And that by PN, I mean Pius XII. Um, 
And the answer to that is, is that Lefebvre was terrified of being lumped in and called and accused of being a set of acantist or a subscriber to the um, the Siri thesis that that Cardinal Siri was actually elected the Pope and was was be and accepted it and was the Pope in pectore in secret. And he's like, no, 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 none of that's right, none of that's right. So he said, okay, what is what missile can I go to? that's after the death of Pius Twelfth. that's the best option. And clearly it's the 62, clearly, because it, it, 65, it, they already started to do stuff that was kind of off the rails. 67 was even worse. I mean, they, they, to, they, to a certain extent, did ease into the Novus Ordo. There was already stuff going on. So that's the reason why Lefebvre glommed onto 62, because he, he had to be in something that was after the death of Pius Twelfth to keep the set of Acantus charge off of him. And we, I don't know about you other guys, but I, I know all about that. The, the, the imbecility and the just irrationality um, of people accusing me, I, I suppose us, you know, all of us who are making this argument that Pope Benedict's um, resignation was invalid and he still occupies the sea. They've been trying to call a set of Acantus from the very beginning. And it's at this point, I think most people just look at it and shake their heads and laugh and realize how either dishonest or unreliable and unserious these people are because we're jumping up and down saying the sea is occupied and it has been an unoccupied, uninterrupted by Pope Benedict since April of 2005, which is kind of the opposite of being a set of acantist. Um, it's kind of a set of set of plainest, as some people refer to it, which is actually kind of an honest description. The sea is occupied. So there's that that little thing. But it just goes to show you these they don't even know what they're talking about. Most of them are just a bunch of imbeciles. It's a it's an inverted meritocracy. It's an anti meritocracy. So the dumber you are and the more of a, a blackmailable sodomite um, morally compromised degenerate you are, the more you'll just fly up to the top of, of the hierarchy, it seems. So we're, we're not dealing with a brain trust here, guys. Um, and a lot of times you can, you can make that argument about Lucifer himself. His bag of tricks is not very big. And because he's completely devoid of charity, he's, he's not terribly bright. I mean, yes, he's a massive, massive angelic intellect, but He's also completely devoid of charity. And it's the same argument that we all make about, um, you know, men on earth and um, both in the, in the context of clerics and of lay people living in a state of unrepentant mortal sin makes you stupid. Now, look what it does to lay people and then consider a lot of these guys in the Vatican right now who are at the top level, whether they be priests, monsignori, bishops, archbishops, cardinals, whatever, there is a massive percentage of those guys who have never once in their entire life offered the holy sacrifice of the mass while not in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. They were sodomites going in. They were sodomites in seminary. They were completely unrepentant. They were ordained unrepentant and unconfessed of this. Every mass they've ever offered, they've been in a state of unrepentant mortal sin. What do you imagine that does? to a person's capacity to think. Um, it doesn't, it, like we've talked about, it doesn't lower your IQ per se, but you, you can't process what's right in front of you. And you're just dumb. 
you're functionally dumb, which is why, you know, the four of us um, unlettered, except for Dr. Mata, unlettered lay nothings are sitting around here having this discussion where, where it seems like <laughs> the, the vast majority of the Roman hierarchy is just sitting there with like drool coming out of their mouth they're, they're just nothing is happening nothing is going on they they have no response to anything and and those are the good guys i mean what's going on here what is going on here and we just have to keep coming out explaining to people what's going on hopefully edify people hopefully let you know okay, this is all prophesied, this is all completely, totally expected, none of us can tell you how it's going to play out, but we're just going to keep taking it one day at a time, we're going to process the information as it comes, formulate a, a plan, and then go from there. This is war. This is basically, we're prosecuting a war. And so, if you think for a second that, that Patton or Eisenhower, or even if you want to quote people on the other side of the war, that they went into a battle plan saying, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and then were intransigently refused to modify based upon new developments, what the enemy does, then you're out of your mind. I mean, you can't, you can't work out war on a PowerPoint presentation and have everything planned to perfection. It's just as in war. You take events as they come, and if you're virile and potent, you are able to ascertain the situation, discern what your response needs to be, and then and then execute that response. That's what we're all called to do. You're, Jesus is not going to show up with PowerPoint presentation and and tell us all exactly what the situation is what's, and what there is to do, and that's the beautiful part of it. He wants us to participate in this. He wants us to be actors in this. He wants us to work and struggle our way through this. And in doing so, hopefully, hopefully, we'll draw even closer to him instead of, you know, apostatizing, stop going to mass, go off and join the schism, go into schism and join the Russian Orthodox or whatever. And boy, I'm seeing that all over the place. Com boxes everywhere. It's incredibly sad. So dismount soapbox Anne for a minute. Who wants to pick it up? And might show up with a PowerPoint presentation or two. Well, <laughs> we'll put that link in the show notes. <laughs> no, we'll put that link in the show notes. Go ahead, Super Nerd. I want to pick up on the topic of, of awareness and uh, the term that comes to mind. Uh, since I, I frequently make, make parallels between the church militant and the military, and that's situational awareness. Yeah. Knowing what the situation is around you and being ready to pivot and react. And in my experience in the, in the military, well, in the Navy, I wasn't really in the military, but in my experience in the Navy, what we train for all the time is to be uh, reacting to what is going to be happening uh, in, in the heat of battle. So the point is you don't really have to think much about it. And when it comes to the spiritual life, that's going to be mental prayer. It's going to be yeah. constantly begging Jesus, show me your will, show me what what I need to do to save my soul and those of, of the people around me. That is what's going to give you the situational awareness. It's not like battle drills on a ship where, hey, if the rudder goes out, send control to aft steering and go from there. No, that that practice in the, in the church militant starts with, with uh, mental prayer. 
a daily active prayer life. Stay confessed, especially right now. We don't know when our when our local parishes are going to be shut down and the yeah. priests are going to be told to go away. Yeah. And even before this new document that, that came out, we were still subject to, to situations where a priest who was perfectly innocent gets blamed for some untoward action, which was completely baseless. And these priests get get uh, something called a trial by laity. I had never mm-hmm. heard of this before until it happened locally. And the priests get their faculties pulled. And unfortunately, even in situations where the priests just annoy the bishop and he pulls his, pulls the faculties, which I know that's happened to some priests too, typically these priests cannot get incarnated anywhere. Yeah. Because that's typically code for you were caught doing something with a little kid and you weren't supposed to, so we pulled your faculties. Yep. Well, in some of the cases... That's why their faculties are being pulled, but it's because of an unjust allegation. But you can't go to a bishop and say, please incarnate me. I was unjustly um, accused. Who who doesn't say that who was accused of that? Right, exactly. So it's not just we're under threat of our, of our parishes being shut down. It's also the individual sniping of these priests that have been going on for a while. Kind of like you may not have heard it on the news, but there are Catholic churches being burned down all over Canada, mm-hmm. all over France. That's not headline news. I mean, you can guarantee if a mosque got burned down by, I don't know, a Hindu in France, we'd hear about it. Top of CNN, top of New York Times and all the other rags. But Catholic churches, yeah, who cares? Yep, exactly. Uh, with unjust allegations in Canada and it, horrible implications that they were like doing satanic rituals and murdering children. There's one that they just found in British Columbia that was at the top of the news in Canada and they burned the church down. And then, oops, somebody found in the um, diocesan archives that the so-called secret mass grave that they found was a completely recorded cemetery um, that had just been abandoned and grown over such that it, it wasn't even visually recognizable as a cemetery. But oop, they they went digging down in the hundred over 100-year-old archives of the diocese, and oh yeah, here's every single person who was buried there, and um, it was clearly just you know, people, people who had died, children who had died. And remember, children used to die all the time of things like tuberculosis, influenza. Kids dying was was quite common. But they they find this old cemetery and suddenly, oh, look, all these Catholics were having satanic orgies and murdering these children and drinking their blood. And everybody said, oh, okay, yeah, let's burn everything down. I mean, that's basically what's going on. I'm not saying that nothing bad ever happened. Oh, yes, bad things happened. Absolutely. Before before Vatican II and and for time immemorial. But to make it make it out that people were just marching across North America and um, murdering Native American children is flat out calumny. I mean, that that's not what was going on. But I mean, back to the analogy. It's like it's like these people you're 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 in you're in the boat you're getting ready to storm the beach at Normandy you're getting ready to be jumped uh, dumped out onto the beach and you don't know whether your your um supreme commander is Adolf Hitler or Ike Eisenhower 
and most and most of the people in the boat think that Hitler is their supreme commander. I mean, that's that's the situation that we're in right now. People are so confused and so messed up and so unable to discern anything that's right in front of them. And as Super Nerd said, not utilizing mental prayer, not praying the rosary, um, that they can't they can't even tell per the Good Shepherd discourse. We are supposed to do this. We are supposed to discern as individual sheep, as individual lay nothings. We are supposed to discern the voice of the shepherd. And we're supposed to discern who is a wolf. And, and if um, somebody is, I'm, I'm sorry, Anne, if somebody ahead. doesn't believe you on this point, um, uh, let me give you a quick quote from St. Robert Bellarmine, who, you know, is, is one of the great doctors of the church. And basically Vatican I, talking about the, um, you know, the supreme power of the Pope was basing a lot of what they said from his words. Listen to what he has to say to amplify your, amplify your point. He's talking about Pope Liberius, who did some questionable things in his time. And he says, for although Liberius was not a heretic, nevertheless, he was considered one on account of the peace he made with the Arians. And this is the the key phrase here for men are not bound or able to read hearts but when they see that someone is a heretic by his external works they judge him to be a heretic pure and simple and condemn him as a heretic <laughs> so end of quote yeah i mean we're, we're supposed to do this this whole notion that you're just supposed to blindly uh, toddle off after what the mob says there's this is this is ridiculous and it smacks of it smacks of cultishness where you are just simply not permitted to use your your powers and faculties of observation to ask any question whatsoever about clearly disordered and uh and in in the case of the um, the putative abdication of Pope Benedict, legally incredibly dubious, obviously incredibly dubious. The notion that you're not even allowed to ask any questions or engage in any discernment about this is it's madness and it strikes of people. Anyone who would argue this, look into their past history, see if they have any involvement with any sort of cult, whether it be a Catholic cult or something outside of the church, Scientology, just anything. This smacks of pure cultishness. And it's also important to remember that it, the, the logical, the logical just impossibility of if you have a situation where there are doubts about who the, who the Pope is, the notion that you could never, that nobody could ever ask any questions about what's going on and that to ask, just to even ask questions about what has happened and about the dubious provenance of a quote unquote pope is an act of schism. Just, I beg you, stop, sit down and think about that. If no one can even ask the question without going into schism, how in the world could any criminal usurpation ever be identified and corrected 
if, if, if you honestly believe that Jesus Christ will hold you as a schismatic for so much as even asking the question, that's why I've posted several times and I'll probably keep posting them again and repeating and repeating. We have several citations of people saying it is 100% clear. It is not an act of schism to, to investigate, have doubts if, about a, a canonically invalid papal election. You're allowed to ask the question, that is not schism, that has nothing to do with schism. You know what is schismatic? And it breaks my heart because one of my favorite people is, is doing this, and it's Peter Kwasniewski. Peter Kwasniewski posted a, a thing on that liturgical fetishist website that, where he said that um, he's basically denouncing the papacy. No, Bergoglio is totally the pope, Francis is totally the pope, but nobody has to obey this. They, they, you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything the Pope says. You don't have to pay, pay any attention to the, anything the Pope says. These people are tearing down exactly, precisely the authority that we need in order to get out of this mess. And these, these trad Catholics who are so obsessed with fitting in and maintaining income streams and maintaining career tracks still still, who are so susceptible to being manipulated by the, the concept of human respect. And Peter, I love you if, if you ever listen to this, but you are, this is, it's, it's nauseating to watch this. It's nauseating. You are destroying the papacy. You are at war against the papacy. You are at war against the rock of Peter. You are at war and you are doing the work of the Freemasons. The Pope does have authority. The Pope is the rock upon whom Christ Jesus built and builds his church. This, this whole notion that we're all going to suddenly turn into full-blown Protestant schismatics and denounce the papacy and you refuse, you refuse to look at the objective evidence of what is right in front of you Peter Kwasniewski, who wrote a glowing review of Antonio Sochi's book, Benedict, um, Why He is Still the Pope. You wrote a glowing review of that book, Peter Kwasniewski. You said it was a convincing argument as to why Pope Benedict's resignation was invalid. And then you came under pressure, and within 24 hours, you, you edited and edited and edited it until you turned it 180 degrees. And now here you are, how many years later, attacking the papacy, attacking, you're doing the Freemasons work. And it's, I'm angry because he's such, he's such a damn good guy. And he's just under the influence of, of horrible, horrible people, it seems to me. And he's, he's succumbing to his own need for human respect. Mark, you, you had some things you wanted to say about human respect, didn't you? Actually, Super Nerd wanted to talk about that as it relates to the position of the SPX and, uh, you know, the situation that we're clearly at this point, clearly in this state of necessity, state of, of uh, emergency, whatever you want to call it. State and of the exception, notion of, yeah. Uh, and the notion of supply jurisdiction. So if he wants to take that, that's fine. The one thing I want to say about Dr. K, and it is, I mean, it really is infuriating when... Um, 
you know that he knows what we know. Yep. Is that a good way to put it? Yep. And and he continues on now in, in this charade. I will say, and the point was already made, that he is actually right in saying that even a true pope issuing this letter, it would be unlawful. So the, the, the there's a point there that he's trying to make that's true, but the broader problem is that he's... Uh, the, the way he's going about this is just, it's not good. Not good at all. And no. if I, could, if I yeah. could maybe speak to that point that you just made, Mark, that even if he was a legitimate pope, he doesn't have the right to do this. Could I say a few yeah, things on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so in the first place, when you, in Bergoglio's Moto Proprio, he's, he has the audacity to try to say that the Novus Ordo is the Roman right. The unique... Expression. Unique, yes, yes. <laughs> that that there is no other, you know. Uh, ex- so that now that's first of all that's pathological. I mean, the, as we're going to see, the Novus Ordo was invented uh, in the late '60s by a even by by Protestant contributions t- as well uh, by people that just cooked it up. Um, almost out of thin cloth. In, but, a, in a restaurant in Trastevere, <laughs> writing on the back of a napkin. We're not even joking. Yes, go ahead. No, no, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling here. But, um, but beyond that, oh, you know what, it's, you know, since we're going back to the 60s, Mark, you recommended a book to me, and I went through it. It's called, um, it's by Rahner and Ratzinger, you know, that famous German vaudeville act. Um, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so where's the hook? Somebody get the hook. <laughs> It's called The Episcopate and the Primacy. Yes. And it's from that magic year, 1962. And uh, and listen to this. So if, if we go along the, the way Bergoglio would like us to, with the Nouvelle Theologians, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to what Karl Rahner, who, you know, from 1962 to, to present day, is like Thomas Aquinas, you know, in, in the seminaries. Um Listen to what he had to say about what a pope can do and what a pope can't do. And Father, Father Z actually published part of it. So actually, let me look at what Father Z wrote because it's, it, he gave a smaller quotation here. All right, here's the quote from Rahner uh, as it appears on Father Z's um, blog uh, from July 1st. What the mighty Jesuit Karl Rahner would say uh, or said about suppressing Sumorum Pontificum. All right, here we go. Um, Imagine that the Pope, as supreme pastor of the Church, issued a decree today requiring all the Uniate Churches of the Near East to give up their Oriental liturgy and adopt the Latin Rite. The Pope would not exceed the competence of his jurisdictional primacy by such a a decree, but uh, but the decree would be legally valid but, he, but Rahner goes on to say, but we can also pose an entirely different question. Would it be morally licit for the Pope to issue such a decree? Any reasonable man and any true Christian would have to answer, no. Any confessor of the Pope would have to tell him that in the concrete situation of the Church today, such a decree despite its legal validity, would be subjectively and objectively an extremely grave moral offense against charity. 
against the unity of the church rightly understood. A mortal sin for which the Pope could be absolved only if he revoked the decree. Hmm. Yeah. That yeah. feeling when you have Ronner on your side. <laughs> yep. Oh, waxing, waxing nostalgic for the good old days. <laughs> yep. It's, um, it, it's, it's a remarkable situation. And as we've been kind of discussing in chat that, um, while it's horrible, what's going to happen, this is, boy, this is going to be a sifting. This is really going to be a sifting of, and it, our, our Lord is basically forcing people. He's forcing people to face up to this and forcing people to choose. So, yeah. Um, speaking and, of, and I wanted to comment. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to comment on your your riff on the on the sixty two missile. Mm. Uh, in, in case people don't, you kind of explained why Lefebvre didn't go further back. And if people don't know why he went back as far as he did, the reason is that they did indeed try to destroy the old right before the new right was ready. So after Sacristancon. Concilium was issued in 1963, and the council was still ongoing. They just couldn't wait for the new right to be written. So what they did was incorporate, I'd say, 70 to 80 percent of the changes they wanted to make went into the 65 missile. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about no more prayers at the foot of the altar, right. no more Latin except for the canon. No more last gospel. Um, no more last gospel. No more last confidier. No Leonine prayers after the mass. Yeah. Lay yep. people doing the readings from the lectern. Yeah. I mean, they went full throttle in 65. And this is why, so it softened people up. Mm -hmm. So when we finally got to 1970, a lot of the shenanigans had already happened. It was basically, uh, you know, I guess it went, it would be 70 would have been audible vernacular canon yes that would have been the last thing to happen and people had already been so softened up at that point that's why it kind of i don't know would you say that's gradual five six years well, that's yeah, what happened. Yeah, to, to some extent. I also, this brings up a really good point. I want to make sure that the listenership is aware. People are going to see the thing in, in Bergoglio's um, BM that that um, that the, the readings have to be um, facing the people in the vernacular. I want to make sure the listenership knows, and I doubt very many do, they've been doing that, as in the fraternity, the institute, all of the trad communities in France and French-speaking Switzerland. They've been doing that. And I'm not talking about reading the readings in the vernacular from the Ambo before Father starts the homily. No, in fact, they they do that where I go to Mass now. There's, there's no problem with that. In France and Switzerland, in the Mass itself, the priest picks up the, the, the missile turns around, he's got a vernacular translation, and he reads the epistle in the vernacular facing the faithful in the nave. Okay, that already happens. And the same thing with the gospel. Um, the fraternity and the institute, and I don't know about Bon Pasteur, and I don't know about the St. Vincent Ferrer. I doubt the St. Vincent Ferrer guys do it, but I've never... 
I only know what I've seen with my own eyes. Um, when I had occasion, when I was traveling to, I went to mass in Normandy. So we're talking about, or, or in uh, Brittany, in fact, what we're talking about old Vendée country, you know, and I've been, and I went to mass in French speaking Switzerland um, that they've already been doing that. So I don't want you guys to get caught unawares, you know, screaming up and down, jumping up and down, and then have all these people come back at you and say, um, your own people have been doing this in France and Switzerland all along. So, and if anyone in the listenership has any information about what the Germanic countries, Nurse Claire said when she was in Austria, they didn't do that. Um, Dr. Matza, do you have anything? Yeah, I was going to say when Dr. Marshall did his podcast on Friday, um, he actually criticized that aspect of the motu proprio and said that um, he, he would have some problems with that, that re because the whole, the, all the readings are offered like an offering, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yep. And so he was arguing that they would have to be in Latin because there's a phrase in the text that says, um, you know, we're, we're offering this, et cetera, et cetera. I forget the exact phraseology, but um, just just wanted to add that tidbit there. Oh, I just, oh, what's, somebody just, who just said that? The SSPX does that in Africa too. Who just messaged? I, I did that. Okay. Um, I don't think it's any secret to the listenership of this podcast that, I created the website latinmass.live mainly to scratch my own itch when everything got shut down a year and a half ago. I wanted to be able to see where there was a live Latin mass streaming someplace. And that gained some momentum. A lot of people sent me links to where there are other masses. And one of the places I found was one of the SSPX chapels. I want to say in Kenya, it was someplace where they speak English. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually true, but I, I checked into one of the masses cause I saw it was live and somebody was doing the readings, not at the, at the, it wasn't at the, um, uh, the pulpit reading at the, the epistle and gospel and giving a sermon. No, this was in the middle of the mass. They were yes. speaking in English. Yes. And I reached out to a, a couple of contacts of mine in the SSPX and said, Hey, what is with this? And sent them the link in the time code. And I got the response I got was more or less equivalent to shrug. I don't know. That's mm -hmm. what they do there. That's what they do there. That's the same question I asked in France. And they're like, well, it's just a local, just a local custom. And by the way, that is the, that's the acceptable form of uh, change to, to a venerable right. When there's organic little local things that kind of creep up. Um, I mean, that's what happened over the first thousand years of the mass. And so by the time of Pope of the council of Trent and Pope St. Pius V, he, was, he wasn't initiating a new form of the Mass. He was merely codifying uh, what, what already existed and, and getting rid of inessential elements here and there that it kind of, kind of crept up. But the whole thing was a, a process of, of, of good evolution, so to speak, not bad evolution, if you know what I mean. Well, the prayers at the foot of the altar, that was, that was a, a gradual innovation that the priests, when they processed out of the sacristy towards the altar... It was just custom that they were saying, what is that, Psalm 50 or Psalm 51, that they were saying that Psalm. 42. Is it 42 for the prayers at the foot of the altar? Yes. Okay, okay. So there's, 42 there's, is the answer to everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so they're saying this, they're praying this as they're processing out of the sacristy to the, to the altar, and then it just, some at some point somebody said, 
we should just make this part of it, you know, and and it should be it should be audible. He should be saying this in voce with the server responding and say, oh yeah, okay, let's do that. So, but I mean, we're talking about long, 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 long time ago. But that was like Dr. Matza said, that is an example of a kind of a gradual thing. I think that the reading of the last gospel too, it could be said was, was that, that it just, they started reciting it as they were processing out and it became such a tradition that eventually they just said, Hey, let's codify this and put this in the missile so that this is the last gospel and let's put rubrics around it. And okay, we'll, we'll do that. So yeah, there are legitimate examples of that, but I think this might be an example of something also in the Catholic mass that goes back to the ancient Jewish temple worship. And I know I've mentioned this in the podcast probably 100 episodes ago, that a friend of mine wrote a book about this. I think it's called The Three Pillars. I've got a copy of it here. My, my, I'll find the link. Uh, I'll find the name, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But the Catholic Latin Mass can trace significant parts of, of its lineage to the Old Testament temple worship. Of course, yeah. And in terms of the idea of the priests having having a hymn that they're either saying or is being sung while they're processing to the altar to, to give worship or give a sacrifice, that's probably something that goes back literally 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. So the idea that that would have been carried over, and let's not forget who taught the Mass to St. Peter and St. Paul, uh, it's Christ himself. And so, yes, while there is has been a, a big mess in terms of the, the the development of the liturgy. Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. Some of it is, is worthy, some of it isn't. At some point in the future, as, as has been prophesized, we might see Saints Peter and Paul appearing in the sky with their lightsabers, not flaming swords. Oh, sorry, that's right, and, lightsabers, and, and we'll say And St. Peter will say, no, listen, let me show you how Christ himself taught me how to say the Mass, mm-hmm. and this is how you should do it from, from going forward. That'll be a glorious day. I hope I live to see it. I probably won't. Maybe my kids will. But I mean, that even implies that anything that's happened since since the upper room and the Last Supper, that that's somehow illegitimate. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the prayers at the foot of the altar, for example, goodness gracious, that's one of the most edifying things. That's probably the single most edifying thing in my day every day is at mass saying saying that saying those words you know the consolation there amite lucem tuum et veritatem tuum you know amite lucem you know amit your light and your truth and and um why why is my soul perturbed i will hope in the lord Every single day at Mass, you get to say those words along with the priest. And, of course, in silence, you can move your lips, but please, please, especially the ladies, don't, don't, uh, don't be audible at, at low Mass. Don't, don't do that. But you're praying earnestly, earnestly, right along with the priest, saying every word that the priest says. That's the, that's the whole Pius X thing about active participation. Man, you want to talk about active participation. That's active participation. It isn't, you know... Karen, you know, getting up and and <laughs> waving her arms and leading everybody in the responsorial psalm. <laughs> getting her. That's the other thing. Go that's ahead. the other thing that was the, they they added uh, the prayers of the faithful into. Uh, you said responsorial psalm, but I, for some reason, my mind went to prayers of the faithful. That was added to the sixty-five as well, ah. which is another just. Awful, awful. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. 
Yes. And some some of these Novus Ordo parishes, I mean, if you haven't, if you've been, if you've tried it a long time and you haven't been to a Novus Ordo Mass, or some of these parishes, I'm telling you, the prayers of the faithful go on for five to seven minutes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And all and all perfect social justice warrior pro pro lockdown pro vax. I'm sure too. I'm sure it's just. Right. I, I don't. I don't know how people can can still go. There are people that are hanging in there and are still going, but I don't know how they do it now. Oh, I, and in terms of the congregational responses, it's actually printed in the bulletin. It's a it's a weekly. It's yes, there every week. Yes. It's a permanent part of the weekly bulletin of the SSSP. High mass. Here are the faithfuls parts. Here are your here are your responses. Low mass. Shut up. Shut up. Like just. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> There's a server. Let him take care of it. Yes. Because in some, even even uh, FSSP or, or what have you, there are parishes. Um, Matter Day in Dallas, they they have sort of the dialogue mass. You can hear. Oh yeah, and it's it's always lovely when there's one person, two people, however many who literally have to prove to everybody how smart and how pious that they are and who then start fighting with the server in terms of setting setting the tempo you know it's if okay if you're going to make the the audible responses you need to listen to the server who's in the sanctuary and you need to match him and his tempo but there are these people, these head cases, who they have to be the ones, they have to be the ones that set the tempo and will literally shout down the server, which is why everybody at low mass just needs to shut up. You're praying every single word yourself. You can even move your lips, but please stay silent. So we got off track a little bit. I want to get, before we run out of time, Dr. Matza, you said in your notes that you contributed that you have a little bit of new information on the Munus Ministerium distinction. Is that correct? I do, but I had one more thing Go uh, ahead. about the yeah about the mass, and that is uh, also in the uh, motto proprio in what uh, Dr. Marshall calls the dragon canon. I think that's number three of the motu proprio. Um, there's a whole bunch of bad articles under uh, number three. Oh, um, that's the one with all the subsections. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's the one that says that um, the bishop can require basically a litmus test from those people that want the Latin mass. Yeah. Um, just, just how uh, do you do you consider Vatican II, you know, legitimate and valid and and all this other stuff? Uh, and, you know, d depending on your answers, you may or may not get access to the Latin Mass. Yeah, if you say the truth, if you say that it is a failed council, like Lateran Five and Constance, which were failed councils, if you say that, he'll say, okay, no Mass for you, you're done. Yeah. yeah. And I just, just wanted to. What if you just quote Paul VI and say, nothing extraordinary happened here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hmm. <laughs> Well. But, so uh, here's a here's a possible take for people to do. Um, you can quote Vatican II Sacrosanctum Concilium, which has to do with the Mass, and it's a it's a brief quote. It says, uh, and I think Sacros uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium was from 1962. Am I am I right? Or 63? Fourth December, fourth of December, 1963. Okay, 63. The rite of the Mass is to be revised 
in such a way that the intrinsic nature and purpose of its several parts, as well as the connection between them, may be more clearly manifested, right? In other words, not less mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. manifested, not ambiguous, but more clearly manifested. And that devout and active participation by the faithful may be more easily achieved. For this purpose, the rites are to be simplified, due care being taken to preserve their substance, mm -hmm. elements which, with the passage of time, came to be duplicated or were added with but little advantage, are now to be discarded. Other elements which have suffered injury through the accidents of history are now to be restored according to the pristine norm this is the norm according to the pristine norm of the holy fathers to the extent that they may seem useful or necessary uh this is the litmus test and guess what it's the novus ordo that fails to live up to this council document not the traditional tridentine mass of course of course. Okay, I want to butt in with something real quick. And I know I've brought this up on, on previous podcasts with Anne, but when it comes to Sacred Sanctum Concilium, one of the documents that always sticks in my mind is something that was written by, oh, crud, why do I forget his name now all of a sudden? Um, but he did a review from the eye of a lawyer looking for loopholes. And Ottaviani, Cardinal Ottaviani. No, 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 it's one of the American lawyers, oh, uh, oh. like a Harvard-educated guy or something. Um, I don't know why I'm blinking on his name, but the point is he goes through Sacrosanctum Concilium from the point of view of a lawyer looking for loopholes, and every time the document says, we shall conserve, there's always an exception that could, could uh, undo the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So the whole document is an equivocation that basically says, do whatever you want. Yep. yep. Or Most of the yeah, documents yeah. of the council are written that way on purpose. Yes. yes. Which they've copped to, Yeah. right, within the last 10 years. I forget which, you know, old... Uh, old guy from the 60s uh, admitted it publicly, one of those guys. Yeah. Um, but listen, to, uh, here's another line from Sacrosanctum Concilium. Christopher Final Ferrara, before I forget, it was Christopher Ferrara who wrote that article, and oh. I will put the link in the show notes. Uh, okay. Finally, in faithful obedience to tradition, the Sacred Council declares that Holy Mother Church holds all lawfully recognized rights to be of equal right and dignity that she wishes to preserve them in the future mm -hmm. and to foster them in every way. <laughs> uh, the council also desires that where necessary, the rights be revised carefully in the light of sound tradition. I mean, again, he's, he's failing his own litmus test. If he's going to say, uh, you can't have the Latin mass if you don't follow Vatican II. Right. But as we've made the point for years and years and years, when you're talking about diabolical narcissist psychopaths like this and the demons, they cannot be shamed by pointing out their hypocrisy because they they love their hypocrisy. They wallow in it. They luxuriate in it because that business of being able to lie to someone, to be able to abuse someone and have them just keep coming back for more and say, well, I'm either the victim turns a blind eye, um, says, oh, that's okay, 
or the victim basically falls into Stockholm syndrome and then starts actively um, actively defending their own abuser. Um, oh, n- diabolical narcissist psychopaths, and I mean, put Bergoglio if, if if he is in fact the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist, he gets a he's a special category. He's even higher than that. Um, he's looking at this, and they're they're absolutely loving it. They're loving it that people watching people just lay down and die in front of them. And of course, ultimately, Satan is getting the biggest laugh watching everybody lay down and die um, by an ant by following an antipope and trailing off after an antipope and having trying desperately to reconcile everything um, by being in union with an antipope. So. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating to watch, but hopefully, um, uh, Briggs, that that William Briggs, that fabulous statistician who's just been all over the Corona scam, and I've been reading him for years. He's fantastic. Um, he just did a very 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 casual little um, little um, poll thingamajiggy, and his he worded it. Um, what's what's your sense, Catholics? Is Anne Barnhart? Et Alia, which is you guys, which is you guys, Dr. Matza and Mark and, and Super Nerd and everybody else, is are Ann Barnhart et Alia right or wrong? And it came back, what, 84, 82%, 82% right. Now, that's a teeny tiny little sample, but it just, like the poll that Frank Walker did a few months ago, yeah, this is the third one now. So it was St. Louis Catholic, then oh, it was right, Frank St. Walker. Louis Catholic, yeah. So we have a pretty solid, uh, maybe all of them unscientific, but uh, chances are if you are at mass and you look to your left and you look to your right and you look to, well, pretty much the whole church, they know what's what. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they're going to be coy about it and whisper about it because it's it's one of those things that people are peer pressured and bullied and, you know, uh, thrown out of com boxes and called names and have their have their manhood questioned and and all this by these these thugs, these absolute thugs. And people say, OK, I know who's who and what's what, but. I, I don't want to get yelled at and I don't want to, I don't, people, people still have a really hard time with, um, I, I, it is a species of human respect to, to some extent. There aren't very many people who just genuinely do not give a damn about what other people think in a healthy way. Now, I'm not saying you should be indifferent to, uh, to other people. It's exactly the opposite of that. But if the entire rest of the human race is unanimously saying and intransigently insisting that two plus two equals seven and demanding that you conform to that, I mean, that should just roll off of you like water off a duck's back. There, there will be no giving into that. And there, there's an introit for one of the one of the female uh, saint pro- saint proper masses, um, virgin not a martyr maybe, and there's that phrase in there that says her foot will not be moved, or you know my foot will not be moved, and that that is such a powerful phrase from the Psalms is, is that when when you have the truth that there there's just no amount of any browbeating insult doxing threats anything else nothing 
no, my foot will not be moved. I look at the objective evidence. I see what the objective evidence clearly states. This is not a numbers game. I can see what, what the objective truth is. My foot will not be moved. And, um, you know, that's it. You just got to stop worrying about, about bullies calling you names in, in anonymous comm boxes or on Twitter. And obviously, just get, get off of all of that. I've been saying that for years. But, oh, that goes into a whole nother thing. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, so wait, Munis Ministerium, Dr. Matza, you said you had something on that. Yes, yes. Uh, briefly. Um, I, I have been up to mischief. Oh, I have dear. been, uh, <laughs> I have been doing research and rubbing shoulders with my Italians, my, uh, my, uh, paisans, mm. um, who are canon lawyers. Uh, and I've, I've been finding out a lot of useful information. Um, I'm not quite ready to, to break all of it yet, but I did want to let folks know, uh, for those that can read Italian, Back in 2016, uh, a number of canonists got together and published a whole, um, I've got the PDF, I'll, I can send it to you guys and maybe we can leak some of this, but mm -hmm. um, there have been definite deliberations about Benedict's renunciation. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now and there's all these articles about his renunciation and about renunciations in general. and. The canon, the canon law from 1917, the canon law from 1983. Mm -hmm. So anybody who thinks that, like, you know, we're a bunch of Neanderthals here, yeah, um, no, uh, there are people that do this for a living who are taking this very seriously, um, and some of them are even willing to admit some of what we're saying. Um, I, I don't want to name, name names right now, um, but um, the other thing I wanted to point out, uh, less cryptically is that um, I'm finding out more and more that also from these canonists that it's sort of an open secret that Joseph Ratzinger's understanding of canon law is, um, how shall we put this? Uh, it's on the fritz a little bit. <laughs> um, so and that, he's more a theologian and less a canonist is what- Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and out of charity for him, they don't come out and lambaste him, but uh, they know that he's off on this, or some of them do at least. Yeah. And I can just give you, a, you know, a, a beauty, which he, this is a quote from him right at the time of the end of the council, like late 1965, early 1966. Okay. And this is what Ratzinger says. Uh, the moonus of the bishop is not an externally assigned administrative power. Now, let me explain why this is a significant statement on his part, because that's how the, the office of the papacy is traditionally understood. It's an assigned administrative power, which means that you can resign from it. Yes. If it wasn't an administrative or a juridical power, a jurisdictional power, you'd be stuck with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he says the moonus of the bishop, in fact, let's just insert a word that he doesn't do, but let's just insert the word Bishop of Rome. The moonus of the Bishop of Rome is not an externally assigned administrative power, but rather arises 
from the necessary plurality of the Eucharistic communities uh, and as representing these is itself sacramentally based. The ruling of the church and its spiritual mystery are inseparable. In other words, he in this statement is trying to say that uh, a bishop has his administrative power not as a grant of jurisdiction that's given to him you know, from the Pope, but it's, it's something that's like a sacrament. It, it's an indelible thing, and once you've got it, you, you don't lose it. So anybody who thinks that, you know, we're just sitting around like a bunch of numbskulls uh, uh, trying to come up with, you know, far-fetched theories about Munis and Ministerium, they got to go back and reread Ratzinger here. Yeah. Uh, this is not the only quote that I've found that shows that he thought he could still hold on to part of the papacy in some, in, in the Munis in particular, in some fashion. And, and I, I've, I've got more quotes like this. But. Well, it sounds I, I like he thought he not only had to uh, hold, or not only tried to hold on to it, but actually thought that he couldn't do otherwise. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really important that everybody just stop and think for a second about the fact that what Dr. Matza just read to you is Ratzinger in either 65 or 66. He's been ruminating on exactly this entire thing for 55, 60 years. I mean, does does that not raise any eyebrows that he that he was this was a very big deal. And this goes back years now to Mark and I at the beginning um, finding the Miller dissertation and then deep diving into all of this and realizing that not just Ratzinger, the entire German theological academy, all of them, this, this was the hot topic in the middle of the 20th century of the German school of the Nouvelle Theologie, uh, that school, even even Cardinal Dulles was hardcore all over this, as in, yes, his brother was CIA Dulles, as in what the airport in Washington is named after. That's not suspicious or anything. Um, I well, mean, one of the brothers was also Secretary of State, wasn't it? Um, uh, was he, or was he both? Was yeah, this, that was the, the same guy was both, I thought. No, there were two of them. What, what's um, Secular Dulles's first name? Because it's Avery is the Cardinal, Dulles. John Foster? John Foster Dulles? Yes. John Foster Dulles was an American diplomat, lawyer, and Republican politician. He served as United States Secretary of State under Eisenhower from 53 to 59 and was briefly a U.S. Senator for New York oh, in 1949. The, the brother is Alan Dulles. Alan. And by, and yeah. by the way, we might want to add this to the show notes. Um, I, I came across this, but I haven't watched it yet. It's a YouTube video called The Dark Side of Alan Dulles. Mm. The Greatest mm -hmm. Untold Story of American Power. Yeah, this is the guy that started the CIA. Yes. And Aver <laughs> Avery and Alan were brothers. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Like I was saying, I, I just finished reading the book Legacy of Ashes. And the one conclusion I get from that book is the CIA never should have been and we should just abolish it. But oh, absolutely. I, I don't want to digress. Yeah. It's one of the most evil organizations as, that has probably ever existed. And the FBI is is nipping at its heels trying trying to uh, be every bit as evil as it is. It's That's another episode. 
<laughs> That's another podcast. Um, but uh, back to Munus Min- Ministerium. Um, also, we have to reiterate that uh, one person who came out just recently and said, look, guys, these are two completely separate words. There is no doubt about it is Father Z. And we linked to that. And I think we did a we did a matzah cast when when that particular post came out. I think that's the last matzah cast that we did, in fact. Actually, no, we, we haven't done a matzah cast since he did that. I, I got the post in front of me. Um, actually, this goes back to the, something we brought up at the very beginning of the program, and um, for the people that accuse us of being um, Sadie Vacantists yeah. <laughs> uh, or Benny Vacantists mm-hmm, or something like mm-hmm. that, um, listen to what um, Father Z has to say. Father Z writes, and that's, it's, it's literally the longest article I've ever read from him. Yeah. And it's, it's from like the middle of June. I'll, I'll find the exact date here. Yeah, I think he, it's, he spent uh, some time with it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it says here, therefore, if all of this is right, should Benedict go to God before Francis, then the office of Vicar of Christ might mysteriously, a la Guerangier, attach itself... Guerangier. Garanger, thank you. <laughs> attach itself, my French is, is going to pot here. Um, attach itself within Francis, it, this is if you grant him Bishop of Rome, uh, and life goes on. If that doesn't happen, then the office of Vicar of Christ would be empty. Of course. Uh, as it normally, you know, between pontificates, until Francis should die and the Co- College of Cardinals elects a new Bishop of Rome. Uh, who wait, will then why, also why, wait? Why does Francis? Why does Bergoglio have to die? See, that's that's if if the sea is empty, the sea is empty, and you know, let's have indulge me in you know fantasy dream right now for a second. Um, five cardinals come together and say, you know what, um, Ratzinger just died. And clearly, clearly, something is horribly wrong with Bergoglio. Something's wrong here make a declaration, say, Bergoglio was never the Pope, and then call a conclave. I mean, they could call Bergoglio, a conclave. Bergoglio was never the Vicar of Christ. He was so never the Vicar of grant Christ. Him, if, even if you grant him the bishopric, um, we still have no Vicar of Christ. Right, right. There's no Vicar of Christ. And Guys. Say again? No, go ahead. Okay, and the the other side of this is there, there's a bunch of people out there who are saying, oh, Barnhart and all of her, all of her people – if Benedict dies, then their whole thing is going to fall to pieces. And I'm like, what are you talking about? If Pope Benedict dies, the see will be vacant. That, that's all there is to it. And we'll be in an interregnum and, you know, just like any other. It's very logical. No, this is the thing. Father Z, so let me get just to get the information for everybody. So the title is The Question of Two Popes Bothers a Lot of People, Some Thoughts. And it's posted June 29th, very appropriately, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the feast of Peter Saints Paul. Peter and Paul. Mm-hmm. And if I'm, and again, it's the longest article I've ever seen from Father Z. And um, in here, I guess both Anne and I get mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but he's got this thing in here from, uh, is it the, the French priest whose name I butchered? Guéranger. Um, who argues that there, there was this episode in history back in the 500s, I think, when there was a, you know, sort of an anti-pope hanging out in, in Rome and the real pope died, and somehow they just said, okay, you're it, now that the the true pope died, kind of, like mm. the, the office somehow stuck to him. Anyway, this is Father Z musing about what uh, the French priest had to say on the subjects. It's not gospel, but 
it's it's definitely worth a, a, a read for folks that are interested in the subject. Well, I want to just go on the record as saying that, no, I do not believe if Pope Benedict dies tomorrow morning that that Bergoglio will be just grandfathered in. No way. That There's no way that's possible. I mean, we can, it's obvious that Bergoglio isn't even Catholic. He, well, that's the that's the main problem. Yeah, that's that's kind of the that's the, at the top of the list of 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 a very long list. But yeah, I I do not subscribe to that at all, and I I can't imagine. One of the things that I try to do is I try to sit down and say, okay, what if you mentioned you mentioned um, Saint Robert Bellarmine? What if you know Bellarmine and all those guys, all these people that we have all this respect for, all these saints, all these enormous huge brains what if they just showed up and sat down at my dining room table and i and i explained to them now assuming they didn't have the beatific vision and they didn't already know exactly what was going on let's just say they rolled in and they didn't know what the situation was and i said look here's what happened here is the situation on the ground complete here's here's what the new mass looks like by the way <laughs> and uh <laughs> and here's what's happened the whole thing is infiltrated by communists and sodomites and pope benedict said this in non solemn propter and show them the latin of that and then show them the text of what he said on february 27th and just ask them okay what what do you think is going on here and i the the conclusion that i come to every single time and you know this this is completely non-scientific and non-logical. It's just kind of thinking things through and, and meditating on things. But I can't, I cannot escape this. I cannot help but think that every single one of them would look at me and say, well, it's obvious that that guy, this Bergoglio, this Argentinian, isn't the Pope. And it's obvious that what Pope Benedict tried to do was was invalid. It's it's clearly invalid. I can't imagine any of them saying anything else. And you, again, maybe that's just me and trying to confirmation bias myself or something. Sure, you can make that argument, but I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Do you honestly believe? I mean, I, I think that like Charles Borromeo and people like that would look at you and say, why hasn't an army been raised? And be completely dead serious. Because Why? we have the internet. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> we, we don't do things like that anymore. We, we kill people. <laughs> we, we kill people in other ways. But, oh, but we don't wage war. We don't, we don't do anything like that. Ugh. No, they would honestly say, why hasn't an army been raised? So... Ugh. Or even within the church, why haven't the cardinals and the bishops attempted to do something? Because um, in the past... There have been popes who, uh, they weren't exactly put on trial, um, although one posthumously was, you know, the famous oh, case yeah. of Pope Formosus. Yes. Um, but uh, I digress. But um, I know of instances where uh, they had to at least swear an oath that they were not guilty of what people were claiming about them. Yeah. So it's, it, 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 we don't really have time to do justice to this today, but... It is true that there's this line from canon law that nobody can judge a pope and all that. But that being said, there's the devils in the details. Um, there have been times in church history where uh, the you know cardinals or bishops or even lay people who were you know emperors and the like did have to step up and do something yeah. and not just sit back and wait for you know hope hope for the best, if you will. Goodness, the Holy Roman Emperor had veto over conclaves. That's how, um, that's how, what, Pius X got in. 
Pius the tenth oh, right, yeah. was the was the second. He was the second choice after the Holy Roman Emperor vetoed the um, what was his what was his last name? The I Masonic want, guy, Della Rover. I don't want to calumniate a, a good family name, but uh, it's one of those long the compound Italian names. But um, yeah, uh, Pius the tenth was not the winner of the first ballot. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a lot of nuance here and. Um, Shortly uh, after that, the Holy Roman Emperor as an office ceased to exist. Coincidence? Yes, uh, exactly. Yep. Blessed Free- Carl, pray for us. Yeah, amen, amen. And servant of God, Zeta. Um, let's see. Super nerd, you got anything else? Have we not? Not really. I've just been chiming in with different things here and there. <laughs> and in terms of the whole idea of uh, what if Benedict dies, it, does it revert to... Uh, Bergoglio because he might be the Bishop of Rome. I don't know. The The last time we've had a situation where the Vicar of Christ wasn't the Bishop of Rome was before Peter, uh, when, when he was between Antioch and Rome. Yeah. I, I just, I can't, I can't give that thesis any legs at all. It just makes, it makes no practical sense. Do we honestly think that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to hand the, the office of the papacy to to Jorge Bergoglio after all of this, I just it doesn't seem even remotely feasible. Because remember, we go back to it that we keep repeating this: God is not a jerk. God is not a jerk. God is not a jerk. And um, it's whatever happens. Again, back to the the whole idea that no, we we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But whatever happens, it's going to resolve. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fantastic. We're all going to be getting together and doing podcasts and saying, oh my goodness, can you believe what just happened? How cool was that? It's going to be super cool. And it's going to be visible. It's going to be visible. Now, whether or not everyone is walking around with blinders on, that's a separate question. But the objective reality itself is going to be visible as it is right now, as it is right now, which is why there are still photographs coming out periodically of the Holy Father, Pope Benedict, sitting there in his white, um, you know, being called Holy Father and, and living in the Vatican. It's, it's, all, it's all been visible all along. I can't wait for this to happen. I, I, I just, I'm looking forward to the ability to like live blog and live podcast our reactions to it. <laughs> I, I pray that we all live to see it too. I, I really do. Um, I, I want to see it resolve now. If that's not God's will, then of course, whatever God's will is, whatever God's will is, let it be done uh, to me and to all of us. But um, I really love to see it. <laughs> I really want to see the resolution. <laughs> I'd like to see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart too. And I'd like to see Rome restored and, and clean and beautiful and purged of sodomites. And, oh, there's a lot of things I want to see. I want to see the old mass being said in every little church, like all throughout the world. Walk, walk into any Catholic church in the world and, and the, the venerable rite of Gregory the Great is being said in that church every day. Oh, altars used again, everything. Mm. Many years ago, when I was just about to get out of high school, I was actually applying for a spot at the Naval Academy. And great, thanks be to God, I never got that. But I, I did talk with a, um, a a Naval Academy recruiter. It was an officer in a town not too far away from from where I lived. 
And uh, he, he said that when he was in the Navy, the, the, the topic of, of Catholicism in the Latin Mass came up. And he said that uh, many years ago when he was doing a Baltic cruise, they, they docked in Sweden, and he's Catholic, and he went to a, the, the local Catholic Mass there, or a, a local parish. And just the, the fact that no matter where in the world they came in for a port stop, he could always find a Mass in Latin. It was no different than he, if, if it was in San Diego or Norfolk or wherever it was he was, he was stationed or normal Illinois where he's from. It was always like he was at home. Wow, it's almost as if it fosters unity or something. Almost like it's universal. Wow, that's deep, man. That's crazy. <laughs> and as someone brought up a good point. You know, has anybody, has anyone brought up to Bergoglio and his minions? Well, what do you do, like in one of these parishes in Denver, where half the congregation is Anglophone and half of the um, half of the congregation speaks Spanish? What, what I've you, got a perfect solution. Call yeah. Denver and raise you San Francisco. How about where they have uh, English, Spanish, uh, and, and probably four, uh, at least four or five other Asian dialects. Yes. And probably Russian as well. Yeah. What yeah. do you do in places like that? Yeah. What is, what is this vernacular exactly? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the, the heartbreaking thing that's going to happen now, we're kind of saying, look, the FSSP looks safe, Institute Christ the King may be safe. In most places, most is in, I think, 40 dioceses in the United States. The heartbreaking immediate thing, and by the way, the FSSP is not safe long term. This is step one. Yeah. And it's made clear in the letter, the letter that accompanied yeah. that this is step one. The old mass is abolished, and it's a matter of time before everyone's going to be made to do the Novus Order. And we we are mentally defective, and he uses the word need. We need to be brought back to the mass of Paul VI. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, the immediate pain is going to be in some of these beautiful parishes like St. Catherine of Siena here in Phoenix, like uh, St. Mary's in Norwalk, Connecticut, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of others that since— some more pontificum have done this not multi-right because they're not different rights but basically they're doing tlm english novus ordo some sometimes uh oh did we lose him i think he yeah he wasn't joking about his wi-fi yeah mark we've lost you i, w- I would say also talking about the different uh fraternity parishes um you know and the, the, the Latin mass where you came into tradition, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Yes. <laughs> and I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, in terms of the priestly uh, fraternities that are going to have the most problems, they're going to be the ones who don't own their property. And I don't know about every place, but it's my understanding that the fraternity of St. Peter, by and large, they don't really own the property they're on. I think they own the mor- they, the mortgage. They yeah, hold the mortgage, the mortgage and the and the archdiocese usually holds the mortgage. So you know your your bishop is also your banker, right? But if it, if push came to shove, legally speaking, the bishop could kick them out and keep the property. Is yeah. my understanding. And one of the things that that I I you know when I read through this document on 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 Friday, I forget if I did this on Friday or Saturday, but I, I tweeted out all capital letters: pray for priests. And I'll I'll, I'll mention this again in the show wrap up here in a little bit, but especially pray for priests. And and if you want to pray for a group in particular, the Fraternity of St. Peter, they take more crap from anybody else 
in terms of, uh, of priests than, than anybody else. Mm-hmm. They catch it from the left, the right, up, down, center. If anybody's going to get cut down in the crossfire first, it's going to be the, the priest of Trinity St. Peter. Yeah. They have got the hardest job in the church, arguably speaking, right now. The society can't be touched because from from practical perspectives, the bishops don't own the properties there. Uh, in, in terms of calumny, it's been suggested for decades now that they're, they're excommunicated. What difference does it make what Rome says about them? Institute of Christ the King, I think they're going to be left alone because they're less aggressive about uh, challenging, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say challenging, just teaching the faith. Um, I'm not saying they don't teach the faith, but and from, they have and, so and, and many maybe fewer just, apostolates. They only have what 13, 14, 15 apostolates in the U.S. I think. Whereas the fraternity, well, I don't even know how many the fraternity has. Um, so the fraternity is just a bigger target. the The institute is is huge in France, and you know that's intuitive because it's a French speaking seminary. Even though it's in Italy, it's a French speaking seminary. Um, they do have a lot of Americans, but um, they're, they have lots and lots and lots of apostolates or oratories, as they call them, in France. There's only, I remember years ago when they, they've since updated their website, but they had all of their oratories listed on a sidebar on their homepage. There were only like 13 of them. So the fraternity is just a bigger target. And at this point, I think we also have to bring up um, and mention the absolutely bizarre self-implosion of Michael Voris and Church Militant and all of that and what they're doing. And the the thing that mystifies me about all of that is, okay, so they're they're going after the society because there's been there've been I don't know how many, but let's call it a handful of of bad priests over the how many decades now that the society has existed. And um, it does it does it not occur to anybody that, you know, over the decades that the fraternity has existed, that they've had problematic priests, too. They've had priests that they've had to lay aside. Um, the Institute has had problematic priests that they've had to kick out. I mean, if, if you start going in and digging and calling the SSPX a Nazi pedophile cult, you could probably dig up dirt on any of the Ecclesia Day communities. And I know for a fact that there have been instances of bad guys that did manage to weasel their way into the fraternity and the institute that and, that they took care of, that they ejected, and they kept their house clean. I mean, the whole church militant thing, it, it, I think a lot of people are cottoning to the fact that there's something very, very, very wrong there. And that, you know, you just need to step back. And uh, I've not been a cheerleader by any means. In fact, Super Nerd and I became acquainted because I'd written a piece years ago about, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to the SSPX and, and here's why. And he rebutted it and it was all very friendly. And, you know, years later, here we all sit. But well, to be fair, also, we had been in email communication, but we weren't collaborating yet. Yeah. So I intentionally wrote that in a really goofy way to try to obscure the fact that I was the one writing it. Oh, <laughs> well, it all came out and that's all for the best. Um, but what I will say is that during this whole Corona scam thing, I have not received one not one negative report of anybody who has, for all intents and purposes, fled during the lockdowns to the SSPX. 
everyone, everyone has said that they have been fabulous, they've been welcoming, there's been no snark, there's been no side-eye, nothing like that. It was, they just, it was all hands on deck. Yes, we understand what's going on. We're happy you're here, and we're going to stay open and let us help you. And they've been, they've done a great job through all this. And <laughs> clearly, now due to this, they're going to get a lot more people. Who was it? Super Nerd, it was you. You put the, we'll, we'll put this meme in the body of the show notes. It's the, the um, frame capture from Jaws. And <laughs> instead of saying, I think we're going to need a bigger boat, it's, I think we're going to need a bigger chapel. And that's the SSPX. They're going to get a tremendous number of people out of this um, fake motu proprio that Bergoglio just issued. And people are theorizing that, in fact, maybe this is Bergoglio's plan is to drive as many people into the SSPX as he can. And then he'll issue, uh, before he croaks or whatever, he'll issue a, a decree fake excommunicating them, which again, he has absolutely no authority to do whatsoever. In fact, in fact, I'm considering doing a thing. I'm considering writing a certified letter to Rome asking if I could please be excommunicated by Bergoglio from whatever church it is that he is a member of, because I would really, really love to have that and hang it on my wall and then have it be put in the coffin with me if I'm fortunate enough to be buried in a, in a dignified way. I would love to roll in to my particular judgment with literally a document saying, I got excommunicated from Bergoglio's anti-church. That, that would be awesome. That would be absolutely fantastic. I really don't care what he thinks about me. I'm going to pray my rosary and do my best to grow in sanctity and holiness. Oh, you always you always beat me. I'm super nerd. You're, you're so pious. That's probably the correct answer, yes. <laughs> I think Dr. Matzo was about to say something. Dr. Matzo, what do you got? Um, just another history factoid here. Mm. Um, for people to go look up um, Nestorius, who was the heretical bishop of Constantinople, who uh, in a Christmas sermon said Mary was not the mother of God. She was more like his valet. Uh, <laughs> well, he didn't actually say that, but in so many words, she provided his uh, clothing that he wore. Oh his humanity was like a cloak or something. Anyway, oh dear. <laughs> there was a, a, a church militant, and I mean it in the lowercase, uh, not, you know, Anyway, uh, not the people in Detroit. (laughs) Yes, a a militant Catholic uh, lawyer, layperson, Eusebius, who you know stood up and said that's heresy, Um, and then he proceeded. You know, this was before the digital age. He proceeded to put big placards in the cathedral, um, you know, stating the heresies of his bishop, and how the heresies of his bishop were similar to previous heretics. Um, oh, that's and, right. And you, you went through this on a matzah <laughs> cast, didn't you? The layman yeah. who denounced his bishop. Yes, yes. yes. He, he, in fact, he became a saint, Saint Eusebius, and he eventually became a bishop. Uh, and it was later on as a bishop that he not only went after the Nestorians, but he went after the Monophysites. Uh, so this, this, is, this is a really good model for us. But anyway, I just wanted to bring up the fact that, you know, after the fact, the Pope said that whoever had been um, excommunicated by Nestorius, uh, that, you know, those excommunications were just null and, and void uh, because um, yeah, this is a, oh, let me see if I've got the quote here. Yeah, Pope St. Celestine I 
as quoted by St. Robert Bellarmine. And it, it says, The authority of our apostolic see has determined that the bishop, cleric, or simple Christian who had been deposed or excommunicated by, Mistor by Nestorius or his followers after the latter began to preach heresy shall not be considered deposed or excommunicated. Mm -hmm. For he who had defected from the faith with such preachings cannot depose or remove anyone whatsoever. Thank you. Yep. Yep. If, if Bergoglio excommunicates you, you should, you should laugh heartily. It should not trouble you. It should not bother you. It's kind of the point that I make in my diabolical narcissism, narcissism presentation. If an actual demon manifested in front of you and started just ripping into you and saying, I hate you, you're terrible, you're an awful person, you make me sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what, what would your reaction to that be? Would you be offended if a demon was standing there screaming at you, telling, telling you how much it hated you? No, it wouldn't bother you at all. It's a demon. I mean, there's, you're not offended or bothered by, by this at all. It's, I'm sure it'd be scary and terrible to, to actually see a demon. But in terms of, oh my gosh, that demon doesn't like me. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. So if, if anti-Pope Bergoglio is coming after you and telling you you're horrible and you're schismatic and you're excommunicated, this, that, and the other, you just laugh at him. Why? Because he's not the Pope. And this is circling back, going back to the Peter Kwasniewski thing. It's not that you're laughing at him and saying, I don't care what you think. Nothing you say matters because you don't personally like him. You think he's the Pope, but you don't personally like him. No, 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 no. See, this is where we get into this Freemasonic situation. You laugh at Bergoglio and you don't care that he's trying to excommunicate you or, or whatever or declare you in schism because he has no authority. He is not the Pope. Pope Benedict is the Pope. Okay? And I, I really doubt that Pope Benedict is going to be excommunicating or declaring anyone in schism. I mean, he's... If what Ganswine says is true, he can he can barely even peep. He can barely even whisper. So I I, I don't know. I don't know. But um no, that that's why we laugh at Bergoglio, because he isn't the Pope. Not because we've decided the, that the papacy doesn't matter anymore. Go ahead, Dr. Quote, the, yeah, the quote that you the the quote that you brought up at the beginning of the show, I just wanted to, to give folks the actual uh, source for it. Okay. Um, uh, this is uh, Verence Vidal. These were two canon lawyers who wrote an eight-volume set back in 1943, and it's considered, it was considered at the time the most authoritative commentary on canon law. Um, and what they say in volume two, page 398, is one cannot consider as schismatics those who refuse to obey the Roman pontiff because they would hold his person suspect or because of widespread rumors um, doubtfully elected. Doubtfully elected, <laughs> yep. And boy, howdy, do we have that. We certainly have widespread rumors that he was doubtfully elected. Rumors, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> 
isn't there rumors a fleet, of eighty two percent? Eighty two percent, isn't it? There's a Fleetwood Mac song in there, isn't there somewhere? I'm, I'm hearing Stevie Nicks all of a sudden. Uh, rumors, isn't that a Fleetwood Mac? It song? was. It was an album, but yeah. Okay, Sorry. thank you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, looking at the time here, we are at 103 minutes, gentlemen. So um, let's do a round robin concluding thoughts. Mark, what do you say? We'll keep bringing the evidence. And folks, you need to remember what Jesus told the, um, the two disciples that John sent from prison to ask if he was the Savior. And Jesus mm-hmm. asked them back, what do you see? Yep. What's the evidence? Yep. That's your charge, folks. Yep, absolutely. Dr. Matza, concluding? Yeah, um, canon law says that we have a duty. Where's the quote? All persons, this is canon 748, uh, all persons are bound to seek the truth mm-hmm. in those things which regard God and his church. Uh, and by virtue of divine law are bound by the obligation and possess the right of embracing and observing the truth which they have come to know. Um, so uh, we, the truth is out there, and truth is truth, even if somebody uh, says it's not. Yeah. Um, whether or not the traditional Roman rite of the church is the unique expression is, is an objective fact, and if somebody contradicts that, they're in the wrong, not you. Um, and again, just another plug for my full church history class and world history class. If you go to edmundmaza.com and sign up for that, we're going to go into the history of the 20th century, and it's, it's not very pretty, but we're going to talk about Vatican II and the post-conciliar years and name names and really do a deep dive into all of this by the grace of God. Outstanding. Well, you know we'll be there. Um, my concluding thought is there's going to be a lot of talk about schism coming up over the next weeks and months. It is not a numbers game, folks. It's not a democracy. It's not, it's not an, an election. We don't, we don't do a show of hands to figure out what schism is and what schism isn't. Schism is objective. Schism is when you are not in unity with the Pope and when you reject the papacy in say. Um, so if, if, if for the sake of argument, you say that the entire church militant is reduced down to Pope Benedict, who is the one and only living vicar of Christ right now, and for the sake of argument, the four of us on this podcast, and we're it, everyone else, everyone else on the planet is trailing off after Bergoglio. Does that mean that because we're so few in number that we're in schism from them? No. It means that they are in, in schism from us, and by us I mean the actual Pope, whether he likes it or not, whether he likes it or not, and whoever it is, the tiny, tiny numbers who are circled around him. It is not a numbers game. It is an objective data set. And so don't be fooled, uh, coerced, cajoled, browbeaten, or bullied into thinking that you have to go along with the group, that the group and the, and the numbers in the group is what determines who's in schism and who isn't in schism. That's not what it is. It's, it's Christ, the Pope, 
and then the people who are in union with the Pope and then thus grafted onto Christ. And whether it's it's so few that they could fit, you know, in a in a in a Ford Escort, or whether it's billions, is immaterial. All that matters is what's true. And and don't be afraid. Keep the faith. Don't despair. Um just like with COVID and the lockdowns and all that garbage, this is going to resolve too. And it's absolutely no coincidence that these things are happening at exactly the same time. No coincidence at all. It's all of a piece of the big new world order swirling, um, swirling plot, swirling satanic plot. I, I mean, I, all I can do is hurl this platitude at you, but it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to resolve. I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I absolutely know for a complete and total certitude that it is going to resolve. And all you have to do and all our Lord asks you to do is just keep the faith. Don't go to the Eastern Orthodox. Don't, um, you know, throw up your hands and, and stop going to mass or anything like that. Um, move heaven and earth, do what you got to do. And it might get into extraordinary circumstances of having priests come and, and do masses in private homes and things like that. We're, we're into that territory. All right. Then you need to be a good tactician. You need to figure out, you need to survey the landscape, survey the tactical situation, formulate a plan, and then execute that plan. And it could shift and the, the ground could shift underneath you at any given time, but you just have to react to it. This is what being an adult is. This is what being virile is. Not sitting around and whining and saying, there's nothing we can do, and, you know, none of that. There are things you can do, and you just need to go out and do them. You need to be bold, and you need to act. Keep the prayer. Keep the rosary. Don't give up. Never, ever, ever give up. God wins. God wins. Well, wasn't that St. Athanasius who says, me plus God is a majority? And I don't think he even counted himself really in the majority. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're all grafted onto, onto this pimple that is Bergoglio. We're grafted onto the Holy Father, and the Holy Father is grafted onto, is welded to the infinite monolith that is, that is God himself. So, so what? It matters if there's only a handful of us. That's okay. We're grafted onto an in, infinite monolith. All the rest of them are grafted onto a, a walking, talking pimple. So, you know, we got it. We got it. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Mulder, Scully, and Matza. The truth is out there. And like, like was said by the character of, of, uh, of um, Thomas More in, in, in the movie A Man for All Seasons, the angels are created for their splendor or their intellect, but man has to muddle things through in the darkness of his intellect. Mm -hmm. And boy, do we have something to muddle through. Indeed. And that's going to be the, the saga of how we save our souls at this particular point in time. That's right. Keep the faith, folks. Keep the faith. All right, Super Nerd, should we wrap this up? Uh, unless anybody else has something to say. Pray the rosary every day. It'll uh, cure any sort of fear, uncertainty, anxiety pray the rosary every day try for a week folks yep. you won't stop yep absolutely okay i'm gonna go into the wrap-up then the email address for the podcast where you can send feedback comments suggestions or other good news items for wrapping up the podcast or other insights and uh, ways of determining that the truth is out there the email address is the pod is podcast at barnhart.biz Anne expresses her profound gratitude for all of her, to all of her benefactors, and at least one Mass is said every single day, plus 
one traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass is said for everyone who died in the previous week. I stressed this before. Please pray for the priests. Mm-hmm. Uh, this motu proprio that came out from the person, the junior bishop in white, this is aimed at priests. Yeah. We are the secondary effect, the, the pew sitters. We're going to be affected by what happens to the priests. They are in the crosshairs. And rather than throwing crap at them like they get every day from all directions, how about we pray for them more strenuously? I know Anne calls for fasting and penance for the the uh, situation of the, the for the papacy, and I don't disagree with that, but we need to pray for the priests too. And, and maybe just every once in a while, send them a card and say, hey, we're praying for you. I know things really suck right now, and you probably get uh, 100 to 1 complaints to encouragement. I, I want to help move that ratio a little bit. Pray for the priests. It, it it can't be understated that uh, without them, we've got no chance of, of, well, I shouldn't say no chance, but our, our chance of getting to heaven is, is is diminished. And I mentioned earlier that there's a systematic attempt in some places to get, get priests marginalized by having questionable allegations thrown at them and they get get their card pulled and they have to go back to district headquarters and sit on the bench. Some of those priests end up getting discouraged and just filing for leaving the priesthood. Yeah. And that's a tragedy for us all. Yep. It happens. And it's a non-zero number, or it's a, it's greater than one yeah. that this happens. So please pray for the priests and, and let them know that you're praying for them. We definitely, like I said, we, we, we need their help. Yep. And pray pray to the poor souls in purgatory. They've gone through a lot of stuff as well. They can pray for us. Um, they can't pray for themselves. They can't help themselves, but they can, they can help us. They know what suffering is like <laughs> a lot more than we do. Uh, pray to them. And also don't forget uh, the different patrons that we have. Uh, the listeners of the Barnhart podcast, we mentioned uh, St. Tiny Princess is, yes. is a, a patron for us. Please, please pray to her. Put her to work. I certainly do. Um, <laughs> you should too. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or in previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com to learn more. And I would like to recognize a few donors since the last podcast. And this is the first time that uh, for the Matzacast, well, first time that I'm on it. But secondly, it's also the first time that we're using this uh, recording mechanism, Clean Feed. It's more expensive than what we were using before, but it should come out with a much cleaner process when we're done. Uh, the the episode that we did with Dr. Beep and uh, Nurse Claire and Ann, uh, that definitely uh having everybody on separate tracks mm-hmm. definitely came out to a much cleaner fantastic um, yeah uh, much cleaner product in the end so yeah that that's that's what one of the things we're using the funds for and and uh, i just want to thank some some folks who uh sent in some some donations via the postal service as soon as my monitor turns back on carrie uh via paypal sally and pmj and jeffrey are monthly sustaining donors uh St. Luke's Gallery. That's actually not his name, but the guy who runs St. Luke's Gallery, oh, who nice. I've mentioned him before. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a YouTube channel where he do, he, he uh, devotes episodes talking about sacred art, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very instructive. He sent a, a donation. Thank you very much, sir. Nice. As well as Bart, Lowe, Jennifer, who says, thank you for all the hard work with Anne's website and podcast, and also Anne, with, not the Anne I'm talking to, who says, thanks for the great, great content. And Franklin, and then uh, via Amazon, uh, Michael and Therese, and then I did get a Bitcoin donation. Oh my! <laughs> it wasn't a huge one, but uh, but somebody who said uh, keep me anonymous. But uh, we did. What about get a donation. Rick James? Is Rick James okay? No, I think they're regrouping. Oh, okay. Well, maybe putting together a new album or something. Okay. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll hear from them again. I'm sure. 
and I will let you finish up with Matthew 17, 20. Matthew 17, 20 intention, fast twice a week and pray every day. Um, that our fourfold intention, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and that the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the, the beatific vision. And that Pope Benedict repent of anything that he might need to repent of, die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and also someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady Undoer of Knots, pray for us. And Our Lady of Copacabana, pray for us. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. That was that was uh, something I'd never heard of before this week. And uh, she Vanessa, specifically... Vanessa found Our Lady of Copacabana, who is the Pachamama killer. Praise God. Yes, yes. indeed. And until next time, on behalf of Mark and uh, Dr. Matza, I am Supernerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Wow, it's almost as if it fosters unity or something.